The process of being selectively excluded usually begins at an early age, oftentimes when dividing up teams on a playground during recess. Emotional scars are inflicted each time a child is passed over, forcing the child picked last to bear the greatest burden. Those early experiences of being selectively excluded can destroy the innocence of a child. For many children, it's the first time they question themselves, asking, why did I not get picked? Is there something wrong with me? It's a painful experience for anyone, but the real tragedy occurs if that message is internalized and becomes part of our identity. Whether consciously or subconsciously, that message can become like a ball and chain that we drag into adulthood, distorting our true image. In our first reading today, we find the account of David's anointing by Samuel. Within this reading, a scenario of external versus internal appearances takes place as a man named Jesse presents seven of his sons before Samuel to determine who would be selected as king. These seven sons probably had all of the external characteristics necessary to fit the dominant narrative of who should be king. Strength, life experience, and charisma, yet none of them were selected. The youngest son, David, was left working in the fields and excluded from the selection process altogether. David was much younger, of smaller physical stature, and had less life experience. But in a turn of events, God speaks and reminds Samuel not to be blinded by external appearances, whether positive or negative. And our reading reminds us that God does not see as mortals see, focusing on outward appearances. Instead, God looks to the heart. And the underlying message in 1 Samuel invites us and challenges us to view the world through God's eyes. Recently, I watched a documentary on Mount Everest. Situated between Tibet and Nepal, Mount Everest remains the world's highest mountain, with its summit reaching some 29,000 feet. Now, Mount Everest I find beautiful, but there's nothing about it that makes me want to try climbing it. But this documentary provides a glimpse into the selection process for creating a team to reach the summit. The individuals who signed up were in peak physical shape, and they each had a lifetime of experience. One by one, they were selected due to their skill set and their physical abilities. And they were each given around $8,000 worth of climbing gear to begin their journey towards the summit. To make a long story short, this team failed, and they failed miserably. Weather and physical exhaustion and mental stress got the best of each of them. But on physical appearances alone, they looked like a winning team. This documentary proved that selecting a team to reach the summit of Mount Everest is about much more than external appearance. And in a selection process composed of proven climbing experts decked out with the best gear, no one would select a young boy named Jordan Romero. But he reached the summit of Mount Everest in 2010 when he was 13 years old. Or a woman named Tanay Watanabe, she reached the summit in 2012, and she was 73 years old. Or a guy named Yuchiro Miura, he reached the summit last year, and he was 80. Or the incredibly inspiring Eric Weinmayer, 
who reached the summit of Everest in 2001, and Eric is blind. Now, nothing about the appearance of those individuals fits the dominant narrative of who we think should climb Mount Everest. Yet they remind us that every person contains a unique, God-given identity with unlimited potential. And they remind us that the truth of who we are is found within. In the opening verse from today's Gospel, we find a man who had been blind from birth. We're not given much information pertaining to his background, and no one even refers to him by name. Harshly, he is referred to simply as a beggar. Upon witnessing this man, Jesus' disciples make the huge assumption that his physical condition must be the result of sin. Upon asking Jesus who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, Jesus' reply was, neither. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Theologian George Stroop reminds readers of the importance of recognizing that Jesus is not saying that all manner of physical limitation or sickness occurs so that God's works can be revealed. But what we find is that only in this specific individual, in this particular man, that God's providence is narrated very succinctly. And it is done so because the miracle is not the point. Rather, as a sign, it points to something beyond itself, to what an encounter with Jesus signifies. Now, this man born blind from birth experienced a lifetime of rejection from his community. Resulting from his physical limitation, he was passed over or simply dismissed by his community as having no worth. Year after year, the people in his community walked past him as he asked for support. And so John's Gospel reminds us of how often physical appearances can blind us from observing and honoring each human being. But it also reminds me of a social experiment in 2007 by Washington Post writer Gene Weingarten. Now this experiment may sound like an urban legend, but its validity has been well documented by video and print. And it resulted in journalist Gene Weingarten being awarded a Pulitzer Prize. The setting for his experiment occurred in a crowded subway station in Washington, D.C. And Gene Weingarten pressed record on a video camera as a man started to play the violin on a cold January morning. He played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes during rush hour, where roughly 1,100 people walked directly past the violinist. Three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed that there was a musician playing. And he slowed his pace, stopped for a few seconds, but then hurried off. A minute later, the violinist received his first tip, a $1 bill thrown into a bucket by someone without stopping. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but they looked at their watch and started to walk again. And in the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people had stopped and stayed briefly. Around 20 people gave him money, but continued to walk at their normal pace. And in the end, he collected $32. When he finished playing and silence took over, no one noticed. No one applauded, nor was there any recognition. Now, no one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the world's most talented musicians. 
and he had just played one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before playing in that subway, Joshua Bell had been playing to sold-out crowds in Boston with seats averaging $100 apiece. Now, countless people in a Washington, D.C. subway passed by or dismissed violinist Joshua Bell, blind to his talent as one of the world's greatest musicians, based on his physical appearance. Similarly, the man in John's Gospel reading was passed by or dismissed as having no worth or value in their community, simply because of his blindness. Through the progression of John's Gospel, we find that Jesus employs the timeless wisdom spoken earlier to Samuel by not focusing on external appearances, instead looking to this man's heart. And this act of compassion led to the man's physical and spiritual conversion. And what we find is a story about journeying from darkness to light and from a state of blindness to a place of sight. When questioned by his disciples what sin had been committed for the man to be born blind, Jesus said that in this particular case, it was so that God's works could be revealed. But I think that God's desire was for the entire community to be healed. Jesus restores sight to the man born blind, thereby exposing the blindness of the entire community. They too had been blind all along, unable to see his worth and value based on his appearance. But it was also by restoring this one man's sight that Jesus opened the eyes of an entire community. And it's that type of compassion that urges us to see that every person has a unique given identity and a person's value and potential are limitless, and the truth of who we are is found within. So in the end, John's Gospel gives us a glimpse of what an encounter with Christ signifies. Theologian Anna Florence notes that we may not be able to fully explain the how or why or offer any con convincing proof. Even the man born blind could not describe what had occurred to anyone's satisfaction, but he could tell the difference that it made. All I know, he tells the authorities, is that I was blind and now I see. Florence says that in the new world of faith, our confession is everything. And the stories that the church need to hear are stories of once I saw the world like this and now I see it like this. Once my life was blind to certain things, but now my eyes are opened and here is what I see and here is what I know. And so the tradition of good news continues through our own stories and the confession of our faith. Our stories of faith, like today's readings, are not focused on external appearances. Instead, they are about the journey that takes place within us, the journey from darkness to light, from a state of blindness to a place of sight. Amen.